0: State form believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact, like a good neighbor. state form is there. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. as women, we put our hearts into everything. May is high blood pressure education month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the pressure wants to help black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation during high blood pressure education month, let's help get to our goal of one hundred thousand black women putting their hearts first, and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org ourblood to make an appointment now. and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey y'all, thanks so much for joining me for Session 138 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. Oftentimes I hear people talking about someone struggling with social anxiety, and it's clear that what they're really talking about is that person being introverted. They're definitely not the same thing, and I wanted to be sure we spent some time chatting about the differences this week. For this conversation, I was joined by Jenea Sadler. Jenea is a licensed clinical social worker in Raleigh, North Carolina. She's the owner of Urban Healing Counseling, a group psychotherapy office, and founder and co-owner of Introverted Girlfriends, a safe space for introverted women to promote and uplift each other. Janae and I chatted about the differences between being introverted and struggling with social anxiety, how you might know if you're introverted, how social anxiety impacts people's lives, and what kinds of treatments are used to help those who struggle with social anxiety. If you hear something that resonates with you while listening, please be sure to share it with us on social media using the hashtag #TBGInSession. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today, Janaya. Thank you so much for having me today, Dr. Joy. So I'm happy that you were able to join us because I think what we're going to get into today is something a lot of people have been confused about. So we're going to start our conversation talking about the difference between being introverted and struggling with social anxiety, because I think sometimes people think that those are the same thing, and of course they're not. So can you tell me a little bit about what introversion is? Yes, yes. Having
1: social anxiety does not mean that you're an introvert. And social anxiety and introversion is not the same thing. So let me unpack. Introversion is a characteristic of someone's personality and social anxiety is more of a mental health condition. Let me define what an introvert is. is someone who prefers calm, less stimulating environments. Introverts tend to be drained after socializing and regain their energy by spending time alone. A quote that I read online And that I really do love is introversion is your way and social anxiety can get in your way.
0: Mm, I like that quote. I think that does help to explain what that is.
1: Yeah. And there's some common traits that people that are introvert have. And then we can talk about some traits of social anxiety, too.
0: And I just want to help other people understand also that this personality trait kind of exists on the spectrum, right? So you often hear people talk about introverted versus extroverted. I mean, it's important to note that most of us are a little bit of both of them.
1: Yes, absolutely. And some falls on a different realm of the continuum. So I am on the extreme introvert continuum. And some may be what we call now an amvert. So that's like in the middle.
0: hmm Mm-hmm. Got you. Okay.
1: That doesn't mean that introverts don't like people or don't like social situations. Many introverts actually enjoy spending time around others. They just prefer smaller crowds in a more intimate setting, so kind of less draining
0: hmm. Yeah. And I do think that that's an important distinction. I'm glad you shared that because I think there is often so many, there are so many misconceptions about what it means to be introverted. Like, does that mean you never want to talk to people? Does that mean, you know, you don't want to be invited out? Right. When really mm-hmm. it is more about where your energy comes from and that after spending time in like a large social situation, somebody who is more introverted will probably need some time to kind of unwind with themselves.
1: Yes. I sometimes feel exhausted at the end of the day, you know, seeing a lot of clients, interacting with a lot of people. And I just need a quiet time to reflect, to retreat. Because I expend so much energy in social situations.
0: Yeah, and I don't think, especially people who maybe are more extroverted, I don't think that people often think about the amount of emotional energy it sometimes takes to kind of be in a group, to kind of manage everybody, you know, everybody's stuff and everything that's going on. And so, you know, people who are more introverted do sometimes need that time to kind of just unwind and like take a deep breath and take a step back after kind of interacting with people. Just give me a moment or two. You know, and sometimes too
1: much stimulation can just make you feel drained.
0: So are there some kind of telltale ways for somebody to tell kind of where they fall on the spectrum?
1: Yeah. So as an introvert, sometimes we tend to enjoy... More quiet time. So, we spend time reading a good book or retreating to a quiet space and utilizing that time to recharge. So, that may be a sign that you are an introvert, that you just need downtime. Another sign is that you have a small group of friends, you know, rather than a large extended network. You really do enjoy socializing, but it's just on a smaller scale, more intimate. Setting. Another telltale sign sometimes is if you do not enjoy small talk. You know, you tend to just get right into the deep discussions of things.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. I think that most people would not necessarily pay attention to that idea. I have heard lots of people talk about the fact that they just don't enjoy small talk. Can you talk about like what about that makes it difficult for introverts?
1: Yes, I think it's the fluff, the the fluff of it. Maybe not knowing what to say. I'm always kidding around, but I cannot talk about the weather for an hour, you know, so... (laughs) We're going to get deeper into the conversation. And so I think that it may just be like uncomfortable, you know, um, or maybe not knowing how or where to start. I find that many introverts, you know, describe themselves sometimes as socially awkward. Not that they have to be socially awkward, but they may feel that way sometimes. They just don't know how to get it in, you know, that small talk. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think if we think about it in terms of like energy, like we talked about, if I already feel like my energy is going to be low for this social situation, I probably want to conserve it and not use it on small talk.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great point, Dr. Joy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so some of those highlights that you mentioned, I think maybe where some of the confusion comes from in terms of comparing introversion to social anxiety, because you mentioned things like maybe they do feel a little socially awkward or that kind of stuff. And so I think that is sometimes where people think, oh, this means social anxiety, when of course it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. And so can you share then more about the distinction between introversion and social anxiety? So we talked a little bit about like what introversion looks like, but can you share more about the social anxiety piece and how you might be able to tell the difference?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's normal to feel nervous in certain situations, so certain social situations. For example, I'm nervous right now being on your podcast. But in social anxiety disorder, social interactions may cause the intense fear. They may fear that they're going to embarrass themselves or fear being criticized or judged. So I think that that's the distinction is that it's a fear component when introversion is more of who you are. I mean, I can talk about a little bit of some of the symptoms of social anxiety, which is like very different than personality traits, you know, so one may fear social situations, they may worry about, again, um, embarrassing themselves or humiliating themselves. They have an intense fear a phobia of talking to strangers. Other fears may include like Not wanting to use public restrooms, not wanting to eat in front of people, make telephone calls, make an eye contact. So those are some of the cognitive symptoms of anxiety. And some of the physical symptoms can be trembling, sweating, fast heartbeat. So those are ways that we can define, you know, exactly, you know, what it is. And so someone with social anxiety may start getting anxious before a social interaction, you know, that anticipatory anxiety. And others may spend a lot of time ruminating after the event. They may spend days, months, or even Dr. Joy, in some cases, years focusing on what went wrong and what mistakes they may have made. It is really hard for them to let go because they feel judged or they feel as if someone will reject them. Another key component of social anxiety is avoidance. You know, we avoid the things that do not feel good to us. And if you have social anxiety, those are social situations. And in the long term, if we avoid things, it in turns increase our fear.
0: Right. I mean, we often talk about the fact that, you know, the more that you don't approach the thing that you're afraid of, you never actually learn the lesson that it's not as bad as it seems in your head. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I can take that example of public speaking, you know, today, if you always avoid it, your fear will never diminish. So sometimes you have to push past your comfort zone and do it um, and not... Hold yourself back. At least that's what I told myself today, you know? (laughs) And it's even better when you're able to do that in a safe place like a therapy office.
0: Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, Janaea, you know, like most of us are a little anxious, probably about like public speaking or going to a party when there's nobody there we're gonna know. Like most people probably feel a little nervous about Mm -hmm. that, but it sounds like the hallmark where you really wanna make sure like you're paying attention to, you know, regular, everyday kind of shyness or anxiety versus like a social anxiety disorder, it sounds like is the intensity of the feelings that you're having.
1: Yes, yes. The intensity and also whether or not it is impacting your functioning. So that is key. Functional impairment. So it's how does it interfere with your life? So if I was to poll your audience, Dr. Joy, and have them write down things that matter most to them in life, I suspect that they will come up with four to five commonalities. In the end, some things on the list would be our work, you know, our career, romance, friendships, and relationships with our family. And you see with social anxiety, it may affect these areas that are important to us. So let's look at work work, it may keep you from finding a job if you're anxious, if you're too shy to even go on an interview because you're fearful. That affects your money, (laughs) you know? So people are fearful in the face of going to the interview, or even when they have the job, they are frequently calling out to avoid social situations, maybe on meeting day. You know, every Friday at 1 o'clock, you're calling out because you know that's the time that you're going to be around other people. And it also can stop you from advancing in your career, you know, going Into those trainings and conferences, most jobs rely on some type of social capability. Let's examine the romance department. Social anxiety can keep you from dating, you know, finding your significant other. If you have the desire to get married and you're fearful of dating, um, so I see that a lot as well. The other thing is that it may affect your friendships and relationships with your family. So, you know, hanging out, going to that concert you are so fearful of going um, to social
0: events. Mm-hmm. So, you're so you're so fearful about going to social events that you likely frequently turn down opportunities and invitations because you just get so anxious about going to the event.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so that's how it can affect those different domains in your life. So, you know, making friends, having a relationship with your family, romance, also in work, in your career.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a pretty neat exercise, Janae. I'm glad you shared Mm -hmm. that because I don't know that I've ever thought about just how it impacts like those different things that are often so important to us, right? Like, and so if you're struggling with something like social anxiety, it does cut across these domains that typically are very important in our lives.
1: Oh, absolutely, Dr. Joy. And I find that it is often misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed as well.
0: Mm, in what ways? Can you say more about
1: that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oftentimes, I get clients who come into the office and they feel anxious in social situations or it's a new situation. And I'm like, you don't have social anxiety, you are human. (laughs) You know, uh, we all tend to get anxious in social situations. So I kind of normalize it. And then on the other realm I have people that may come in with symptoms of depression or have issues with alcohol use. So when we peel back the layers, we can understand um, that it's maybe something deeper. So let's examine how this can happen. So, you know, you want friends. You want to engage with others, you want to go out, but social interactions may scare you. That may lead you to avoiding, and avoidance may lead to isolation, and isolation may lead to sadness. It can have a domino effect. And again, as we peel back the layers, we discover that the root cause can be social anxiety and not necessarily the sadness. Another thing that I see common that comes into the room is overindulging in alcohol. You know, the liquid coverage is needed to function in social situations. So one glass of wine can turn into a whole bottle and a shot on the side, you know, just so that you can relax and you know, go to that networking event per se. I'm
0: glad you shared that because I know, I mean, of course we know that anxiety and depression often occur together, but I don't think we always hear enough about how being anxious can actually lead to the depressive symptoms because of this isolation piece.
1: Oh, absolutely. I hear that very often about isolation, loneliness, um, sadness. And so I like to peel back the layers to see what is really going on.
0: Yeah, and I could see how it would be easily missed if you really just focused on the sadness, right? And didn't focus on the fact that what led to some of that is the isolation they did because they felt anxious.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I don't get many people coming into office saying that they have social anxiety. So having social anxiety, you are often fearful of judgment. So that may stop you from making that telephone call to go see a therapist, you know, because it is essentially to them like an evaluation. And so we don't get it in the beginning, I guess I want to say in the, the diagnosis, we get it when something happens. And so when they have those intense feelings of sadness, That is when they may come into the room.
0: And something else that you mentioned that I think is something that I've heard much more often lately is the anxiety related to like making phone calls. Oh, absolutely. Um, That is the case.
1: And it can impact, you know, calling a therapist, you know. Um, Yeah. And I had to really sit with myself with this one to modify some of the ways that I do things and getting clients in. And so they may do online scheduling rather than making a telephone call because they are so fearful to dial the numbers, you know, Um, and we live in a culture where texting and social media may allow us not to talk verbally with one another as often as we once did
0: hmm. Yeah. So in some ways it does kind of make it easier for you to actually avoid, like we already talked about, the thing that is making you anxious.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know? Dr. Joy.
0: Yeah. But I think that is important to think about. Right. Like just in terms of how we even make our services more accessible. Right. Like if they're already struggling with anxiety. Yes. Of course, we don't want you to continue to avoid. But in the interest of actually getting them in for help, we may want to think about different ways that we can make scheduling easier as opposed to like just talking on the phone.
1: Yes, and I've had clients that commented on that, you know, Um, so if we can, yeah, that would be helpful. And this can impede like also going to the medical doctor as well, you know, calling about your bills, you know, calling people in what they perceive to be authority, you know, handling some things that you have to handle, you know, it's just a lot that it may impact.
0: Right, right. And again, I think, you know, we often hear social anxiety kind of thrown around, I think. So you're saying that you hear that people actually miss it a lot. But I think we kind of hear it used just very colloquially, right? Like, oh, I'm socially anxious kind of thing. And of course, they wouldn't necessarily always meet the criteria for that. But I think, you know, paying attention to the the multiple ways that this really does impair functioning is important for us to all keep in mind.
1: Yes. And so that brings me to like, how is diagnosed? And we talked about the misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. And so sometimes I have clients, you know, fill out a social anxiety scale, you know, ask them questions, a lot of questions about what their reactions would be in social situations. And then, of course, the clinical assessment helps us come with that diagnosis.
0: So something else that I wanted to go back in your conversation, you mentioned how this impacts work. And I know last year, there was a lot of talk about Summer Walker and she isn't the only one. I think she may just be the latest one that has kind of been openly sharing about her struggles with social anxiety. And it just seemed like there was a lot of conversation around her struggles with social anxiety that did not seem the same as we saw with like Sia, So the other artist who has also been open about struggling with social anxiety and like would frequently style her hair so that she wasn't actually making eye contact or would perform with her back to the crowd. And it just seems like there were some very strong differences to me in the way that we talked about summer struggling versus Sia.
1: Yes, definitely. I think it can be a cultural thing. You know, sometimes it is not understood. And there's that cultural component. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions in our community about what social anxiety is. People often don't realize, you know, what's happening. They may have the misconception that that person is stuck up or rude or bougie, you know, but yeah, I I think that it can impact, you know, work and what took a lot of amount of courage for her to come to terms with that
0: hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing we have to think about is that, you know, much of the conversation was around, well, why would she choose to be in a career like this? Right. If she struggles with social anxiety. But the truth is that no matter what career you pick, if you struggle with social anxiety, you will struggle. Right. You know, so I think we have to be careful in kind of making that kind of a of an assumption that, oh, because you struggle in this way, maybe this is not the career for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So let's talk a little bit, Jania, about like treatment. So what does treatment actually look like for somebody struggling with social anxiety?
1: Treatment can look like a couple of different things. And so we can do, you know, CBT therapy, and that helps you become aware of your negative thinking patterns. Another thing that we do in the room sometimes is teach relaxation techniques. We discuss and practice breathing, use guided imagery bring in meditation or mindfulness. I may even suggest yoga or other body-based interventions, especially if the anxiety is manifesting like somatically or physically. I would suggest that. We may also teach Social skills. So, one reason that someone may be anxious is that they may be socially awkward or not confident in their social skills. And um, if that is the case, we would assess it and we'll teach social skills like effective communication, conflict resolution, empathy, active listening. I like to think about it as if you don't use it, you lose it. And sometimes people with social anxiety don't interact socially, um, because of their avoidance, you know, I mean, we live in a culture that you don't really have to interact with other people. Sometimes you do find that job that speaks to your social anxiety, and you're behind a computer all day, you know, then we can get our groceries delivered, we can get our food delivered. So we're not engaging, you know, on a oh one-on-one basis. So that is why sometimes those social skills may lack. Another one of our go-to therapies, Dr. Joy, is exposure therapy. And the goal of exposure therapy is to reduce anxiety, reduce the avoidance of the dreaded situation. And so um, if they're fearful of, let's say speaking, you know, maybe in the office, we'll start with You know, um, an exercise of just thinking about you know getting on stage, thinking about going to that conference and being in front of those people. You know, so we just thinking about it. Then we may push it a little further. You know, so they're thinking about it, they're preparing for it, they're experiencing the feelings that they may feel like when they're on the stage. And then the hopes is is that you know eventually they may even try it. So it takes time. Um, We suggest that you do these type of therapy with a professional.
0: And is there a reason why you might choose like one modality over the other? Like, are there some things that you would want to like rule out before you started like exposure therapy with someone?
1: Oh, yes, um, definitely. We want to rule out any trauma. And so that brings me to like the why, you know, why do I have it? We'll come back to that. But yes, that's a great point. Um, so if they have a trauma history, we may rule out exposure therapy because we don't want to read trauma or it may take some time to get there. We may start off with some CBD techniques and start off with relaxation so we can engage in exposure and they can be more calmer. Um, so we really kind of meet the client where they are. Mm hmm.
0: So let's jump into the why, because I feel like we probably should have covered that before. I, must, yeah. I missed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and I know that this could be different for everybody, right? Like there's no one reason why anybody develops any kind of illness, right? But what are some of the reasons behind or the things that might lead to somebody struggling with social anxiety disorder?
1: Great question. And I get this question a lot because I tend to treat introverts and remember that Having social anxiety does not equate to introversion and vice versa. You know, I do have extroverts that have social anxiety too. But, you know, we tend to be introspective and we want to know why. Uh, My extroverts kind of is like, Jenea, just fix it. They don't want to know the why. They're like, just fix it. (laughs) But there's no one thing that caused social anxiety. So it can be genetics, you know, if your mama had it, if your grandmama had it, you may have it. It also may be the way that you were reared. So I may have a client that had an anxious mother who had a lot of fears. And because of that reason, she didn't trust people. So, you know, the client did not go out often. It kept her secluded, and she was not exposed to adequate social situations. So those are some reasons on why, you know, we have a trauma-informed practice, and so we do trauma assessments because social anxiety can be linked to a history of abuse, bullying, or teasing. I often find that shy kids... Are also more likely to become socially anxious adults. And so that's why I like to address this issue in children. Um, sometimes it's more than just shyness, you know, and it also is prevalent in people who have overbearing and controlling parents. Can
0: you say more about why that
1: is? Yeah, because sometimes they are not allowed, I guess I want to say, to be free. You know, a lot of their behaviors may be restricted and they're not engaging with people. Like I mentioned before, you know, if you have a mom that has anxiety, maybe she's not letting you go out to, you know, parties or have sleepovers or she doesn't have people over because she's fearful of people or, you know, or something traumatic may have happened to her. So that... Perpetuates maybe um, a parent being overbearing and causing a client or the person to not develop those skills needed to be okay in social situations.
0: Mm, Very good point. So going back to some of that skills building stuff that you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite resources, Jenea, for people who maybe want to learn more about social anxiety or introversion? Yes,
1: yes. And so as you mentioned, it's been in the news a lot lately. Um, You see it in Facebook groups. Actually, you posed a question on world's introverts day and yes yes, we have a day (laughs) and it was a lot of feedback about you know what you want other people to know about introverts so i think through like social media you can get some level of awareness so that's resources susan kane has a book called quiet I also recommend her TED talk on the powers of introverts. So it talks more about introverts than social anxiety. Um, One of my favorite quotes from her is that there is a zero correlation between being the best talker and having the best ideas. Sometimes I use workbooks with clients in the office. So the Anxiety and Phobia Workbook talks a lot about social anxiety. Another resource is a website, The Quiet Revolution. It's a lot of blogs and self help tips on being an introvert. And another book is Self-Compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff. Because treating yourself more gently and softer as if you would treat a friend may help you reduce some of the issues that you have with social anxiety because people can be so hard on themselves.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Susan Cain's book. I don't know if Mm -hmm. other therapists have suggested it. Maybe it's come up at a a time or two, but it definitely felt very revolutionary. I think when she published that book, because I think before then people had not been forced to think about how the world really is not set up for introverts to sometimes be successful. Like the world is just very noisy and just requires a lot of energy. So I think her book coming out really was revolutionary. Yes. And
1: if you don't have time to read that book, check out that TED Talk, you know, and it's really the way that we socialize is we're sometimes in an extroverted world, you know, so she really brought life to that and really brought light to some of the advantages of being an introvert. And so, you know, some things that she highlighted in that book, you know, that we're independent, you know, we're private, we're more inclined to be autonomous and self-sufficient, you know, we're creatives, we're deep thinkers. So it's just an excellent book. And I definitely would encourage people to read that.
0: And where can people find out more information about you, Janea, your practice, as well as any social media handles you'd like to share?
1: Yes, my practice is Urban Healing Counseling, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. You can find us at www.urbanhealingcounseling.com. And that is the same for us. Facebook, and Instagram. You can find me, Janae Sattler, LCSW online and that's my Instagram as well as my website. I'm also an introvert powerhouse coach at Introvert Powerhouse University with Introverted Girlfriends in which I'm the founder and co-owner.
0: Perfect. And of course, all of that will be included in the show notes for anybody who wants to look up those incredible resources. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today, I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me,
0: Dr. Joy. I'm so glad Janea was able to share her expertise with us today. To find out more information about her and her practice and the resources she shared, check out the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 138. Please remember to share this episode with two people in your circle and don't forget to share your takeaways with us either on Twitter or in your IG stories using the hashtag TBG in session. If you're searching for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic and meet some other sisters in your area, come on over and join us in the yellow couch collective where we take a deeper dive into the topics from the podcast and just about everything else. You can join us at therapyforblackgirls.com slash YCC. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit RedCrossBlood.org slash OurBlood State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.